0: Hi everyone, this is Graham Cowan and welcome to the Caring CEO Podcast, brought to you by WeCare365. We created this podcast because we believe that every leader's number one priority is to build a more caring and resilient team who enjoys growing together. It is my job to interview CEOs and other senior leaders who value building both a culture of care and a culture of high performance. I'm very keen to understand how they do this, and we hope there will be lots of insights for anyone who wants to build a high-performing team. Jo Skipper is the Managing Director of The Next Step, which is one of Australia's leading HR recruitment companies. She's been in recruitment for over 20 years and worked in the UK, Singapore, and Australia. Jo is based in Melbourne, and as you would gather, they went through some very challenging times when the recruitment tap was turned off at the beginning of 2020 and everyone was working from home. She shares honestly how when she was first appointed to the MD role, she struggled with imposter syndrome, which ultimately led to panic attacks. She recalls driving to work one morning and being so overwhelmed that she turned around and went straight home. This was a real crisis, but led to her working with a coach and focusing on her strengths rather than trying to be all things to all people. And this was a real breakthrough. During the pandemic, she and her leadership team observed that many of their people were feeling always on and looked for some creative solutions. They did a pilot with a four-day work week, but found that it didn't work for them. They regrouped and tried something slightly different that has been an overwhelming success, as judged by their employee Net Promoter Score. Employee well-being has also improved. Jo really has a finger on the HR pulse and there's lots of interesting insights to learn from her. Enjoy. It's a real welcome to Jo Skipper, the Managing Director of The Next Step. Welcome, Jo.
1: Thanks, Graham. Absolutely delighted to be here.
0: What does care in workplace mean to you?
1: Yeah, I've um, I've thought about this, and care to me probably encapsulates a couple of different things. Um, it's trust. You know, you have to trust your colleagues, trust your workmates. Um, it's it's looking out for each other. Um, it's being supportive. And, and, and underpinning all of that, it, it's actually having a bit of fun. You know that that phrase: take what we uh, what we do seriously, but not ourselves too seriously.
0: <laughs> I like that. I like that. And um, your role is uh, managing director of uh, the next step, which basically is involved with HR recruitment, contracting, mentoring. Yes. What is um, what is that like to run a team? that works in that business
1: yeah it's um it, it's busy you know and i don't <laughs> want to get into that uh, you know busyness but it is busy um you know we we love to try and think that we can be strategic but um uh, un- uh, fundamentally a lot of our work is quite reactionary mm. um because you're responding to to others needs um it, 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 there's so much variety in the work that we do. Um, if you can imagine, um, I always describe, I, I have this fabulous role because I get to helicopter into organisations, uh, mm-hmm. be a trusted partner to them for a period of time while we're running a, a particular assignment, getting to know people on there, in their teams, in their executive teams understanding their business strategy so that I can really find that right person uh, that's going to make their their organisation more successful, not just financially but around culture. Um, And so it's a really kind of privileged role that, that we have but it can it can be very very dynamic. Um, you can have peaks and troughs, highs and lows. Um, and you know, when you're running a team of, uh, of of recruiters, as as we call ourselves, we're generally fairly um, outgoing, uh, gregarious kind of people. Um, and with that, you know, they they really do feel some of those highs and lows of the uh, of the process. And so, you know, my role is to um, it, using your word care, really make sure that we're caring for them whilst they're, whilst they're delivering some great great assignments to, to organizations that we work with.
0: Yeah, and you've worked in you know, a variety of uh, recruitment places. Can just give us a quick overview of how you started and how you got to your current role now
1: yes of course so um, so it was kind of uh, mid late 90s uh, like a lot of uh, Kiwis do I was living in living in Auckland and uh, jumped on a plane over to London to do the big overseas experience um, I'd got a, uh, a graduate placement with an insurance company uh, in New Zealand so I, I, I landed in London um, in those days opened up the uh, TNT magazine to find out where a uh, an insurer if there ever was one an insurance recruitment consultancy was I got my job through the paper I didn't even know what a recruitment consultancy was anyway I I walked in and had an interview and they said would you like to come and work for us and I had no idea I went home and I said I've just been offered a job in a recruitment company I don't know what they do and uh, and then it ended up starting the following week and um, so that was with a business called Jocelyn Rowe in uh, in London So I worked on a temporary desk and uh, literally was placing any Aussie, Kiwi, South African new (laughs) arrival into insurance companies, banks, um, uh, doing general kind of administration for for a good couple of years. And then... um, Then I had an opportunity to join a business called Macmillan Davis Hodes, and uh, they were focused on human resources. And I think through my work initially of working with talent acquisition managers, HR managers to to place uh, these temporaries, I wanted to learn more about that space. And Mm. so I joined MDH, as we called it, and uh, worked there for about three years. And then uh, life took me to Singapore. Uh, worked in Singapore again for another uh, global recruitment business called uh, Robert Walters and uh, worked in Singapore for about uh, just over 12 months but transferred with Robert Walters to Sydney and uh, had a had a outstanding, very privileged, luckily lucky career with uh, with Robert Walters for about five years. Uh, got jetted around the uh, the world, specifically South Africa to uh, headhunt, as we describe it, uh, uh, accountants back to Australia for a number of years. So that was uh, great fun. And uh, I and mean, then a few years later, I, uh, I I joined the next step and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been my home for the last uh, 18, eight, uh, sorry, 18, uh, 13
0: years. So you've uh, experienced, you know, a number of organisations, locations and that sort of things. What is the, um, the common important quality for a recruitment consultant to have to be successful?
1: Uh, resilience. <laughs> resilience. Yeah, it is. Um, like I mentioned before, it, it's a, it's a, it's a game of highs and lows. Um, mm. You know, fundamentally, we deal in more rejection than we do. You know, the success uh, of of a placement. You know, we we meet a lot more people than we ever have opportunities for, mm. and to have to be able to build relations, ongoing relationships with people when you're rejecting them mm. you know that that that's a skill that's a real, real skill um, and uh, and to keep your own personal energy high and positive when you're hearing people's stories about their career which you know there, there are some really challenging experiences that people have in the workplace mm. um, You've really got to got to have your own own level of res, of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my team always know that. You know, I, I say it all the time: what goes up goes down, what goes <laughs> down goes up. You know, tomorrow is another day. Using all of those analogies because mm-hmm. it's really true true in the work that we do. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got to kind of care but not take it to heart because otherwise you could really wear the burden of uh, of, of a, a lot of individuals and circumstances.
0: So what do you what have you learned about the best way to reject someone?
1: To do it with care. To do it with care and to focus not on personal aspects, but to really focus on some of the skills or capabilities that might have been missing, and then the best thing you can do is give them support around how they can develop that gap. Mm-hmm. um so you're not just telling the bad side of the story but you're offering some support around hey so we've received some feedback that um didn't demonstrate your business acumen quite as quite as well as you could have done now I know you've got that skill set mm-hmm. what about we work through next time how you might be able to communicate that let's work through a particular project that you've been part of and how you might be able to demonstrate that Mm. You know, it's kind of that give and take, um, yeah. and I've yeah. always found that that helps with that uh, with that with inverted commas rejection piece.
0: And I guess uh, in the work you are involved with, or the or the market, the HR market, you know, your candidates become your clients, who they become your candidates. It's a it's a cycle, isn't it?
1: Correct. Um, uh, one of the uh, people that I, I worked with, uh, a, a wonderful person called Kathy Fries-Wilson, who uh, was one of the, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, was almost number three employee of the, uh, of the next step, um, coined a phrase, be good to everybody. And it's a mantra that all of us live by. Be yeah. good to everybody because exactly one day they're your candidate, the very next day you're they're your client. And in our environment, because of we, we create such tight relationships, they end up becoming kind of more than just a professional relationship because, yeah. you know, you're invested, you know about their families, you know about their lives. And mm. um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine line that we walk, that's for sure
0: yeah and for our listeners um Joe is based in Melbourne and Melbourne has particularly had its real challenges in the whole pandemic experience. What's it been like trying to lead a business through that volatility? Uh,
1: not easy, not easy um, so you know we were coming if I, if I kind of take take our listeners back you know coming into 2020, 2019 had been a huge year, Um, a lot going on um, in the world and and human resources was really buzzing. So there was a lot of movement, a lot of change. Mm. Um, Fast forward to the, uh, the start of the pandemic, I think it was about April 2020, for all good reason, recruitment turned off. The tap turned off. Anyone in human resources became inwardly focused into their organisations. How do we we set people up for success in remote working? Mm. How do we start connecting them when lots of organisations had only just started utilising something like teams before? So, you Mm. know, all of those things. So our first six months, we were incredibly respectful. We didn't call customers outside of are you okay mm, mm. because it, it was not appropriate. Mm. But for us as an organisation, the the, the the kind of um, pipeline w- was there. Mm. So, you know, we had um, early career er, um, support team members, uh, family members, all that we had to reduce like so many organisations. Mm. As, um, before and uh, and so making sure that they, they were okay through that mm. through that process uh we worked really hard as an executive team not to make any uh rash moves around redundancies or restructuring and uh, and we came out of that pandemic period not not having having to make any of those uh those decisions which was pretty powerful Um, But it was a lot of learning how to do that remotely. Fundamentally, our work had all been face-to-face, you know, interviewing candidates, me liaising with my, my team members we were we were we were a connected face-to-face workplace. So mm. we had to learn how to do that remotely. Now there were some things that we did well, other things that you know in hindsight you think, oh we could have done that, done that better. Um, but it really it was pretty challenging the mm. that those highs and highs and lows. 2021 things started to get a little bit better and specifically with the ongoing COVID response, we were really starting to pick up with uh, with opportunities as HR teams were more and more stretched with that, acti- that activity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the piece for us by the end of 2021 was uh, we were seeing burnout. We were seeing significant burnout in the HR community. Uh, they had been working 16 plus hours for the last 12 months. Months mm. and uh, December last year, there were so many people leaving roles because they just um, with nothing to go to. They just needed mm. to, to to take. It now. So we we also had to work hard with our teams because they were, again, from that resilience piece, they were listening to those stories, they were feeling connected to people's careers that were were struggling, etc. And so we put in uh, wellbeing days and actually introduced the nine-day fortnight as well, because we also realised that now operating in a much more digital world, not face-to-face world, we were on. Everybody was on more than off. Um, Mm. They felt responsible for keeping the company going. They felt responsible for helping HR professionals find other HR professionals to to manage the the situations. And uh, and we we could see burnout starting to appear through our teams as well. So, Mm. we introduced the nine-day fortnight. And that has been a huge success in our organisation because we recognise people are working in nine days what they would in in 15 days and to have those block of three days off, invaluable, absolutely invaluable.
0: Tell me about that uh, decision to do that because, you know, I know other organisations that have uh, done that as well, but it's, it's working in new territory, isn't it? Uh, what was the... What was the sequence of events uh, to actually launching it and and evaluating it?
1: Well, we 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 kind of thought we need to do something a little bit different. Um, actually, pre pre pandemic, and so we ran a little pilot uh, with one of our Sydney teams around the four day working week. Hmm. Uh, it, it, that wasn't successful, so we gave that we gave that a good go for I think it was a six month. Yeah, six-month trial. Um, that wasn't successful for a number of different reasons. I think, you know, look, lessons learned. You look back and think, was the execution as, as, as good as it could be? No. But equally, in our world, things move in the recruitment process. Things can move very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that pure, four days just kind of wasn't enough and then having the big break before coming back into it. Mm. But we equally could see the value um, for our team members in having some a little bit more downtime. Mm. So we kind of went back to went back to the drawing board and did, did the research, had some readings, and again we just thought let's let's just give give this a go. Mm. Um and launched it. But equally we kind of thought we actually need to launch this totally across the entire business, open to everybody, because the key piece is trust, you know. We trust you. We trust you mm. that we're you're going to achieve the outcomes we set you. We trust that you are um, going to respect that the organisation, um, uh, you know, has, has given you this, this kind of benefit as such. And it's just been absolutely outstanding. It's also improved internal communication. Wow! Because you can't have a day off without making sure that your colleagues are across what you're working on, having little pieces of handover, etc. And it has brought teams closer together, Mm. which was a kind of a side piece that we hadn't necessarily anticipated. But the connection is is just fantastic that it's Mm. created.
0: And uh, how long into it did you consider it a success?
1: Six months, six months. So the leaders were would have a catch up with their team members on a. We've got a, a rhythm of weekly, monthly, quarterly catch ups, and so uh, we were doing a review on a monthly basis, just making sure it's you know, sense testing, tech, checking feedback. Okay, it's great for me as an individual, but actually, is it working for the rest of my team? Is it working for the business and business performance? And um, all of those markers were positive team mm-hmm. members were happy uh their teams were very happy with how it was working and you know i guess in the recruitment world it's quite easy to see the measurement of success it's mm-hmm. number of placements we use the uh nps score yeah. the, the Net Promoter score mm-hmm. and over the last 12 months we were, we were already at a ridiculously high, positive high score, which is amazing mm. as a leader in a business. But we, we shifted upwards from um, high 70s, low positive 80s to now in the high 80s.
0: Wow. Wow. So,
1: you know, all of the measures, not only revenue, but also how we do the work, have all shifted upwards.
0: Yeah. What a great situation because I'm I'm very interested in the four-day work week and I've done... You know some research into it, and you know, in fact, on one of the previous podcasts, uh, Nikki Beaumont, um, her business they've gone to four day work week. But uh, you know, four days does sound pretty short each week, and so I think what you've described there is a really interesting compromise because every second (laughs) week it's a long (laughs) weekend.
1: That that's it. That's it. And uh, you know, and, and you kind of you can manage over that period of time. It's much easier to manage your workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, and equally, uh, you know, we're, we're very lucky. We've got some very long term customers and clients that we that we work with, and they just get to know when you're on, when you're when you're not. Mm-hmm. You now it's it's a nine day, you know, fortnight work week. So. Mm-hmm. The, the, the respect that our team members have, that they take calls, etc. but yeah. we really do try and encourage that switch off. Mm. Um, this is important, too, coming back to that resilience piece, to mm. recharge your batteries and, you know, ensure that you've got the resilience to ride the next few weeks that are coming up.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting looking at just... Um productivity research and Australian productivity has grown really dismally in the last five mm-hmm. years. We've got all this flash new technology and all these virtual type situations and yet the last three or four years it's like one percent growth. Like you could fall over and get one percent hundred percent advantage and I, I think it is really time to um, you know pull back and do things like you've done did you have to change any any? Did the meetings change at all, or how did you? Were there any? You mentioned about the increased communication. That makes sense. Were there any other things that you had to do to help make it uh, work as best as it could?
1: We um, we got we got individuals to work with their teams to select the day. That, that worked for them. So, again, we, you know, we, we are in a customer-facing role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I jokingly always say the shop has to be open and has to be manned. Um, and so we got the teams to work collectively around who had Fridays, who had Mondays, who's maybe got a got a, a Wednesday, et cetera, and what worked for them. So that was the first piece. Um, the second piece was um, Tuesdays were a no-go. So, people couldn't select a Tuesday because that's our uh, routine for. Working uh, through meetings, uh, from executive meetings to team meetings to to then we have a uh, a national all hands virtual meeting. So that was uh, that was kind of embargoed, and with that communication again, the flow of communication it ensured that if even if you were off the following on a Wednesday, you'd got all the information that you needed around what was happening from a broader business perspective on on that Tuesday. Mm. Um we had engaged and launched Uh, Teams as a tool before COVID, which was good. Um, Let's just say I'm not sure that recruiters are uh, the the, the most uh, uh, um, change-positive individuals. And so it was kind of a tool that sat there to the side. Um, We now are avid Teams chat users and each team, sub-teams, cross-functional, Interstate teams have got channels and it's it's just a daily flow of communication. Mm. And and again, because of those teams, chat channels, if you're not in on your particular flex day, you can go back and you've got all the information that you need to, to, to move forward on something. And so that's something that, that has really evolved for us over the over the last couple of years.
0: Thanks for being part of the Care First movement. You may be interested in some free resources that we've prepared at wecare365.com.au. The first resource is a building a mentally healthy culture checklist, which contains all the elements that you'll need to prepare and launch a mentally healthy workplace program and how to build momentum for up to a year after that launch. The second resource is how to support a teammate or a loved one in distress poster this provides guidance about how to identify someone who's struggling, how to have the Are you U OK? conversation with empathy, and how to guide them to the help they need. These resources can be found at wecare365.com.au. Bit of a uh, different slant here, but uh, have you ever had a career crisis, Joe? Yeah, um, I have, and
1: uh, and actually it was fairly recent. Um, you, do, you know my my role had evolved over the last 12 months so previously I was the director of the Victorian practice of the next step and was uh, promoted into the managing director role which looks after uh, Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne in July last year. Um, you know I, I think that there was a, a little bit of wow, I'm so excited, fantastic, you know, kind of the pinnacle of what I've worked for in my career. career. And then equally, imposter syndrome. Why am I in that role? Do I have the skills? Uh, Comparing myself to others. uh, But mostly creating this job description in my head of what I thought that role needed to deliver. Mm. Which was, in some ways, absolutely polar opposites to who <laughs> who I am. But you know, I was I was re avidly reading Boss Magazine and and comparing myself to you know the Jane Hardlickers of the world mm. and others. That's not why I was appointed into the managing director role. Mm. So that actually um, kind of spun very much out of control over a six-month period. Now, as you mentioned, I'm based in Melbourne. You probably, you know, some some additional pieces around coming out of two years of lockdown, et cetera. Um, And I had a period of over a week of panic attacks that accumulated finally in a quite a severe panic attack. I was driving into work one day, started crying about five minutes into the drive, and by the time I got to Docklands, i just the fear I could not go in to the workplace. Turned the car around and drove home. Um, rang up the GP and booked in for a, a mental health assessment. And uh, you know, through through that ex- exploratory conversation, recognised yeah, there was there was a number of things going on. Um, you know. My age, I'm, I'm leaning into uh, perimenopause, which equally creates some additional challenges. And, uh, and I also realised through just having an, the initial chat with the GP um, that I needed to kind of sort my career head out. Mm-hmm. I was putting all my eggs in this career basket mm-hmm. and not balancing. I wasn't focusing on self-care, mm-hmm. you know, little bit too many, too many wines on the, on the couch after work, uh, not going for walks and doing those kind of things. And so, so I engaged with a career coach and uh, have spent the last six months with an absolutely fantastic human uh, who has really helped me realise work is one part of Joe Skipper. It's not everything, but I was putting 90% attention in he also gave me the very large aha moment when he asked me, "So, have you, have you received feedback about how you're performing in the MD role?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." Any negatives, Joe? No. <laughs> so, why are you suddenly creating these expectations of something that you've got to be? So, but but you know that that's been a real co- challenge, um, you know, and I think many people probably go through those those, those situations. Mm. And so it makes our conversation even more important around that care that as a leader, the self-care that you do to mm. be able to really then care for your broader team.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, when a senior leader shares those stories, it just, it makes a massive difference, um, you know, and I'm sure you have spoken about it and I'm sure people have said, well, that happened to me too or it happened to my wife or my uncle, that sort of thing. And they are important discussions because it has really the mental health of organisations has really struggled in the last two and a half years, and um, it's certainly it's certainly not solved. And uh, you know, I think uh, having a situation where you can you know have a coach that can help give you some perspective and some objectivity makes a big difference. Um, what are the things that they ask you that help to see things a bit differently?
1: They really asked me to work, we, we did some work around uh, values and, and we also did did a fair amount of work around strengths. Mm. You know, and, uh, and, and Graham, I know that you've spoken in the past with the uh, fantastic CEO, Pat Greer, and mm. so this, what I'm about to say, will really resonate. Um, I was focusing on my lesser strengths. Mm. Now, I was putting... of my attention on these lesser strengths. Mm. I am never going to be the most orderly structured systemized (laughs) person. That's the antithesis of me. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas actually, if I had focused 80% of my attention, and this is what my coach we we focused on, let's actually focus on these top five slash top 10.
0: Mm.
1: Let's Mm -hmm. use those? And how can you tap into those into your work? Mm. And once we went through that process, I was focusing all my attention on these really minutia pieces of my role that I didn't necessarily love, rather than actually be creating the space for doing all the things that I loved and enjoyed, you know, I love catching up with my team. I love coaching them. I love being out in the HR community and having great conversations. And yet I had put this MD hat on. And had become so inwardly focused um, mm. around oh, I needed to be across every spreadsheet, and it was <laughs> it was you know kind of draining uh, my creativity um, and and all the things that I had kind of been appointed to the role to deliver on. <laughs> so it was it was it was a really good process.
0: And for our listeners, as Joe said, Packria was the CEO of Ramsey Healthcare, and. You know, really oversaw a massive, massive growth uh, when he joined. I think there were about 10 hospitals when he left, about 140. But Pat just had a mindset. And I don't think he'd ever done any formal strengths training because it's become more disciplined now. But he just had this mindset that 80% of people are good and strong and focus on that 80%. And that's been 100% confirmed with all the more rigorous strengths uh, that is done now. Did you go through uh, like the Gallup uh, profile? Is that the one that you went through or another one?
1: We use the VMA. Mm. And, uh, and 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 i there there is a and, and interestingly actually we uh, we had a, a an all company offsite just recently you know that reconnection get everyone together and uh, and we ran a a strengths workshop in the in the afternoon Damn. um so the vma online tool uh, it, they have a free shortened version mm. uh, as well and then you can have a, a much longer version and uh, and so we ran it across our teams mm. and uh interestingly, Interestingly, uh, we have a very, very strong DNA through <laughs> the next step of care, mm-hmm. love, and humor.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. What great insight. You know, just to, uh, it can just, you, you sort of experience it. But sometimes when you actually see it written down, it can add a different perspective and give you a different line. And what I love about the strengths as well, and um, I've mainly done the work on the Gallup side of things, is that you also understand that every strength is good (laughs) and uh, you can't have all the strengths and you need complementary strengths in your team to be able to do great work. And uh, it is quite liberating. And, uh, you know, I know that, you know, with my kids, I've also put them through that. And it does help to guide careers as well, when you know that yeah. these are your strengths. And the Gallup says that if you use your top five strengths every day, you're 600% more likely to be engaged, and 300% more likely to report high life satisfaction. And so, you know, knowing those strengths, and when you come to a career um fork, you know, will fork A, allow me to use my strengths? Will fork fork B, allow me to use my strengths. And it's worth knowing that the ones that allow you to use your strengths more, you're going to enjoy more. And, uh, you know, you you just perfectly uh, illustrated that. So, yeah, that was a, I really um, appreciate your honesty, but also how things evolved. And Mm. often it is those crises that help us, Grow and have greater personal insight, and you know, great leadership is first and foremost about self-awareness, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. You know, the really, you only can control yourself. Mm. You know, you can guide and influence, etc. But the one thing that you can evolve and and really uh, change is is, you, is yourself, and so that self awareness of um, how things play out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not on the strength side of things, the op- that optimal use of strengths and not overplaying things and not underplaying things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 and since I've learnt more about that, because, you know, even in my work, it's not something I was as familiar with, um, mm-hmm. I can honestly say uh, that the last six months have been, since I've been doing this work, I've had probably greater satisfaction in my role than I've had for the last couple of years mm. so it's uh, it really is a, a powerful powerful tool for focusing on those those strengths
0: yeah and I can just see in your face that that's the case you know you you, you know you're suddenly smiling and uh, yeah. and and that's what happens when we when we do build our strengths know our strengths but also build on them so yeah it's uh, yeah, a, a great illustration thank you when you think about the various organisations that you've worked with, and uh, you've worked across a lot now, I'm sure, what do the best recruitment groups do? What best talent acquisition groups do? What do they do differently that makes employees say, "I want to work there"?
1: I think they focus on you as an individual. So, what do I what do I mean by that? We sometimes uh, probably do ourselves in the talent acquisition space a bit of a disservice when we, we can kind of say, hey, it's not rocket science. No, it's not rocket science. Fundamentally, the process of what we do is fairly similar. Each time you do it, you just do it for, for, for different people. Now, I've worked for some organisations where they're so focused on that process and you mm-hmm. heard earlier, Graham. I'm not very structured, organised, systemized. So focusing on that process uh, was uh, was not necessarily as as enjoyable work as it as it could be. But they're so focused on that that they lose the uh, connection and mm-hmm. and relationships. Mm-hmm. The best organisations I've worked for when they really engage with you as a human and understand that you bring different strengths. So, yes, we have a kind of step-by-step process that we'd like you to align to, but we want you to deliver it in your way because mm. we've hired you. And, you know, we know that you are going to enhance our brand, our thinking, our organisational culture because who you are as a professional. As a, as a professional.
0: Mm. And it's been very much in the news that it's hard to get good people now. You know, there's a real uh, surge in demand. How can employers think differently about that?
1: You're you're spot on. There's been a huge surge in demand. We've got the lag factor of borders closed for for two years and, and, you know, that will take some time to to recover. Um, the piece that has really changed, I think, over the last couple of years is um, I liken it to, to marketing. Everything now is personalised. Mm. Uh, you know, we've got algorithms that track what apps we use, et cetera, so that mm. we get the right um, advertising for what we are interested in. Mm. employers need to do the same for their employees it's Mm. not a one size fits all anymore so you know me as leader uh i have you know the same uh weekly meetings with all of my team members and i ask them the same three questions no that doesn't cut it anymore Mm. They want to have that authentic conversation, so individualise, um, in, work out individually what, what working hours, times uh, uh, that, that suit people. And if you can do that, that's what creates that, that engagement and connectivity.
0: We've had, uh, you know, we've had some really good times working together in the last two and a half years. I think we first started right at the start of COVID and uh, we've done a number of um, webinars there. Why do you put on, how do you choose what sort of programs to put on for your clients that you know will add value?
1: Yeah, I, um, I I still remember the uh, ch- my, my cheeky little LinkedIn uh, message directly to you, to you, Graham. Look, I know you'd had a relationship with the with the Next Step in the past, but I yeah, beginning of the pandemic could could see the the kind of the call outs coming through on LinkedIn saying, oh, we've got to be connected, and and I thought, well, okay, going back to I wasn't delivering assignments because everyone was inwardly focused, but what is the one other aspect of, of my role and, and what I'm good at. And I'm a, I'm a connector. I'm a talent connector. And so listening, listening to hear what themes might be coming through organisations or individuals or what HR professionals are leaning into, and then putting my talent connector hat on and, and looking around my networks, having conversations to say, okay, that person, that will They'll, that will connect and solve, not solve, but support, uh, give guidance to some challenges that a particular individual or group of individuals are, are leaning into. So, um I have to say, probably the first year of of doing those webinars, there wasn't necessarily much planning. It was, <laughs> let's just you know, uh, I need to I need to keep busy. I'm I'm a chatter, and it was probably a little self-serving. <laughs> I need to be connected, uh, but uh, but more recently, it's been very much as we've you know spoken about. Uh, the, the, the main issue that we're seeing across organizations outside of talent and connecting with talent is well being. Mm. And so, for us and for, for, for me, it's how can I use my networks, my relationships to create a platform to lift the conversation around well being, mm. uh, to make sure that people really understand psychological safety mm. uh, and leaders um, evolve and develop their skills in this new newer space, it's not new, but newer space of that caring leader mm. and what how that plays out in the workplace.
0: Yeah. Um- we Care 365 partnered with uh, The Next Step and The Safe Step. and We re- recently published a mental health at work moodometer and there were a number of really interesting things there. We looked at mood at a personal level, a team level, and a workplace level. The best mood was at uh, personal, it was about 66%, uh, then a team, about 63%. And then organisational, workplace, whole workplace was 58%. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so why do you think that that is the lowest score of the workplace in terms of uh, you know feeling that we're really firing on all cylinders
1: my my sense is you know again put this into their into the timeline of the last two years um, Organisations in that that first twelve months of twenty twenty COVID uh, were really leaning into individuals because you know it was all new; none of us had experienced it. So there was this whole um, hashtag "We're all in it together," mm. and you know there was the uh, the Zoom quizzes, et cetera, to keep everybody connected. Mm. That was key focus. Mm. Then we then we move into twenty twenty one and. It was, it was, you know, still up and down, et cetera, but we could see the green shoots of if things changing. Mm. We're now in eight months into 2022, and I think this is where, for me, I'm seeing the tension play out. Mm. Things haven't gone back to normal, mm. and nor will they. But actually, organisations—the muscle memory—is so strong they're operating the way they did pre 2020, mm-hmm. and so there's this disconnection from employees going. Hold on, in 2020 I was, you know, almost cocooned, well looked after. I felt like my organisation cared, the CEO cared, my leader cared. They were checking in on me, I was getting little gifts. Mm-hmm. so um Then. Over time, that's eroded. And now it's, hey, everyone's stretched because we've got the talent shortage. People are doing two, three roles at a time. Uh, you know, we, we, we're being to revenue. Oh, we're leaning into a recession. Oh, harder, harder, work harder, longer. And so there's been this kind of disconnect of I was feeling cared for and supported. And now I'm just a cog in the machine. Mm. And when then you've got the macro factors of increased inflation, slower um, uh, uplift in, in pay rates, additional uh, issues, home challenges, you know, we're seeing more and more conversations around uh, challenges happening at home as well. Yeah. I think individuals are just kind of going, I just feel like I'm not being supported. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's a very, um, very interesting observation. It's certainly, it's going to play out for a long time, isn't it? Like we think we've got hybrid work working, but it's going to play out. Like one of the one of the things I saw recently was that remote workers aren't as eligible or aren't seen for promotion as much as people in house. There was a a study I saw where forty four percent of People in the C-suite said they would rather promote someone that was physically in the office than someone remotely. So uh, that has to be sorted out, doesn't it? Because not everyone can work in the office all the time.
1: Um, no, that's okay. right and, you know when when you think about it from a a, a pure diversity perspective mm-hmm. as well, you know the the individuals that you could tap into who may not be able to come into a workplace between mm-hmm. eight thirty and five p m huge cohort huge mm-hmm. cohort of opportunity uh, opportunity there, and that's where this You know, leaders need to work hard to be leaders in this modern work environment Mm. because the way we used to lead, the expectations we used to set, the KPIs we used to set in that old industrial age. Mm. ways of working, you know, coming into the workplace for 8.30 on the dot, leaving at 5.30 on the dot, mm. they don't fit this new workspace. Mm. Um, and this is a lot of the work that I'm, you know, why I get excited about the discipline that I recruit in, in human resources, because HR is front and centre of this work at the moment, looking yeah. at organisational structures, looking at talent pipelines, looking at how do we ensure that, development happens when people aren't just all together? How do we ensure that people don't uh, miss out on a career opportunity because they're based in Ballarat and come Mm. into the workplace once a fortnight?
0: Mm. Yeah. One of the findings we had in the uh, moodometer assessment was that, 67% 67% felt their manager cared about them, but only 55% said they would feel comfortable talking to their manager about a personal mental health issue. You were really uh, wonderful to share your previous challenge. How comfortable did you, share, did you feel sharing what was going on with you, with um, your leader? Uh,
1: in the moment and initially, uh, I wasn't. Mm. because I don't think I really understood what was happening myself, not having experienced it before. Mm. Um, I'm probably in that, you know, I guess there's two things, I guess I'd, I'd respond with that answer. I've been with The Next Step for 13 years, so, it, you know, I have deep, deep relationships because of length of tenure. Mm-hmm. So there is trust there that whilst in that particular moment I didn't necessarily know what was happening and, and feel comfortable with it, um, two, three weeks later when I kind of understood what had occurred, I was very open mm-hmm. uh, with my leaders and, um, Initially, I didn't know how to tell the team mm. because would it be perceived as a weakness? Mm. Would it would they think lesser of me? Mm. I think we all think these things, mm. but in reality, everyone just lent in literally virtual hug, care, support, what can we do to support you and help you? Um, But I also know that that is not necessarily an an everyday normal workplace. So I think that we've spoken about this before, that stigma of it's seen not as an illness the way, you know, if you had, uh, you know, I don't know, measles, you have an an illness, you need to get treatment for that illness. And, you know, it could be ongoing, you may recover. Mm -hmm. It's not seen as that yet.
0: Mm. I hope it will. Yeah. It's been absolutely wonderful catching up today, Joe, and finding out much more about you. We've spoken a number of times before but haven't had the chance to sort of delve more deeply. One final question, which I always find um, quite interesting, is knowing everything you know now, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? If you go back and uh, you could tell them something that would be really, really helpful, what would that be? Don't sweat the small stuff.
1: <laughs> I used to wind myself off the dial with the small stuff.
0: <laughs> I think I think many of us fall into that category. And um, I once heard uh, a saying, you know, I, I, I think it was, you know, it was an old, old woman. That's right. And she said, you know, when I was um, thirty, I really worried about. Everything that um, people were thinking about me and saying about me. When I was 50, I didn't care what they were saying about me. Now that I'm 90, I realise they weren't thinking about me anyway.
1: <laughs> How very, very true. <laughs> uh,
0: it's been a real pleasure catching up, uh, Joe. Thanks for being part of the Caring CEO.
1: Thanks so much, Graham. Lovely to speak
0: to you. Thanks for joining us today. And we hope you've learned some practical tips that you can try with your team. If you've enjoyed this interview today, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. We also welcome any comments. If you're interested in seeing more details about our simple, scalable WeCare365 mental health training programs, please visit us at wecare365.com.au. We strive to make these programs easily accessible practical and ongoing. If you've been impressed by a caring CEO you would like to see interviewed, please email us at support at wecare365.com.au. Thanks once again for joining us.